Welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh, and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about Violent Night. Joining me, The Rewind's action movie correspondent and the driver of the David Harbour for Best Actor bandwagon, it's Daniel Lima. Daniel, what's going on? Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. And uh, for this purposes for this episode, you can call me Daniel Deck the Halls Lima. Ah, okay. I like that too. Uh, it's uh, very fitting because Violent Night is the uh, newest movie from... Uh, director Tommy Workola, a Norwegian filmmaker who's uh, done a couple things that have uh, made some money, but just done a lot, a lot, a lot more under the radar stuff, but most notably stars uh, David Harbour as Santa Claus. And it's from 87 North Productions, a production company that uh, Daniel has joined us to talk about a lot of their movies, including uh, Day Shift earlier this year, but also the John Wick movie. So we'll be back in a few months for John Wick 4 as well. And uh, I didn't know, I didn't even know Daniel until a couple of days ago. Apparently nobody started shooting a sequel. I didn't even know that was happening. Hey, uh, I didn't so, know that. That's awesome. Good yeah, for them. So, so uh, it's, it's, you know, it's David Leach's whole crew and they all have their own, you know, their own little in-house stunt team and they can do different kinds of action. Though I think this movie's I think in some ways kind of feels different, but in, in I'd actually argue good ways to just maybe not like quite the same kind of action you might come to expect if you were thinking about the kind of movies we just rattled off. But uh, again, it stars uh, David Harbour as uh, Santa Claus, a hard scrabble Santa Claus who, you know, we meet in a pub in uh, England where he's just lamenting just how, you know, tough it is to be a Santa Claus these days. Kids aren't grateful, uh, yada, yada, yada. But then he uh, goes off in his sleigh after uh, just saying all these things that like make him seem a little more than just a drunk Santa to another Santa and the bartender. And, uh, and they were kind of curious why he goes up to the roof. They go up there and all of a sudden he, uh, he takes off with his reindeer and vomits on the bartender. Uh, it sets the tone for, I mean, kind of the kind of movie it's going to be, but maybe not really. I think this movie might have a little more heart than you might ultimately think when it starts out. But at the same time, there's plenty of gore as he ends up, uh, you know, at a house that ends up under attack. It's a house. that's a big compound from this rich family that has, you know, made a lot of money from, uh, doing some unsavory things with oil, a prodigal son returns with his estranged wife and daughter, and he's the, the daughter wants them to get back together, and uh, but all of a sudden it's taken over by just a just a guy named Mister Scrooge, played by John Leguizamo, who wants to you know uh, take this family for all its dirty money, and uh, in in the midst of it, Santa has to come to the rescue. We come to learn, hey, Santa has, Santa has a different, a little bit of a different origin story in this world. Uh, Daniel, you and I uh, notoriously did an episode of this podcast on a movie called Fat Man two years ago with uh, one Mel Gibson, just hero to the Jewish community, and <laughs> now the, the only movie that I actually own as a person, which is just my favorite, one of my favorite fun facts about myself, because uh, as I've s- said a couple of times before, it was the same amount to buy it and rent it on Amazon. So I own Fat Man. It was a movie that I think we were both a little let down by, though we were kind of excited by that premise where 
you know, I mean, not that like it's the most original thing to make Santa something other than just, you know, totally cheery and clean cut. The You know, there's a movie called Bad Santa for after, after all. But like, you know, this the, the, the fat man cut a pretty and interesting trailer. And I, I that and I think the, I think the movie was far more uninteresting than that led you to believe it was going to be. Yeah. Uh, even if there, it had some interesting ideas, it just didn't really follow through on them. So uh, what I mean, I'm, I'm wondering, like. You know, I think I, obviously the 87 North thing probably gets you a little bit excited, but was there something else about this movie too that kind of piqued your interest and did it come through for you? Well, I'll admit here that uh, it's the 87 North thing. That's yeah. what got me interested. I remember back, actually, I don't know if you remember this, but I did originally start like an action movie podcast around this time last year. And around this time last year, episode one, if you find, if you go looking for it, you can find me talking about, oh yeah, Universal just announced that they've picked up this script called Violent Night that's going to be produced by 87 North. And I was talking about how excited I was for that premise. I would be there opening day. I wasn't there. I know you did a podcast on it because you, uh, I don't think you ever actually like really published that podcast. You never know. I did not. No, I did not. I did did one or two episodes and I found out "Eh, it's not really fun to do this by yourself, is it? But anyways, but anyways, uh, you know, I was excited for for that reason, really, that it was, you know, the action movie yeah. studio, the premier action movie studio tackling this kind of subject matter. And it's funny because I'm not also I'm also just not really a fan of of Christmas. I was going to say Christmas movies. No, of Christmas. I don't know about uh, uh, you. How do you feel during the holiday seasons? I realize you're not Christian, but like, no, it's an interesting question. I I mean, I really love the holiday season. I love what Christmas generally brings around. I I, I actually really unabashedly enjoy Christmas music. If I live more than five minutes from my work, I would play it on the radio. You know, when I, when I was driving around, if I, whenever I think to, I do, I, I enjoy that. I, I enjoy traveling to cold places for it. I enjoy the feel of the holiday season. Cause it's not something we get in South Florida. I genuinely uh, kind of enjoy everything. Uh, Christmas has to offer and even even Christmas Day itself because you know our Jews get to do our own thing we get to watch movies eat Chinese food it's a it's a whole thing so I mean and so I I, I get that side of it where we get to do our own Jewish thing and, we, and I also get to like you know take in a lot of the you know holiday cheer and the weather when I escape to up north like I plan on doing to my grandpa's in Philadelphia in a few weeks. <laughs> so you know I I perfectly enjoy it I, I I don't have strong feelings in general about Christmas movies I don't really care. I mean I like Die Hard but I don't care enough to like get into those unironic fights about whether or not it's a christmas movie and i don't if you just put a gun to my head and we're like what's your favorite christmas movie i don't really know what i'd say i don't have anything against them it's just like I just don't have any special affinity for christmas movie and tv content you know yeah i have no affinity for uh the holiday season in general like for example i fucking hate christmas music and um i i don't really have any, i think it's more you know, i mean like it's just like we we, we those jews just really need to step up our game like we just don't have any real like hanukkah <laughs> music so it's such a low bar i'm just kind of jealous is there any hanukkah song we got the dreidel song. We got the Adam Sandler's Hanukkah song, and the that's dreidel, dreidel, dreidel. I'm, I made you out of clay. Yeah, thing. yeah. Oh, okay. And we got Adam Sandler's Hanukkah song, and that's it. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm. It's not really something that resonates too much with me. If I had to name a favorite Christmas movie, I think I would probably go with Gremlins. You know, it's an easy one. But um, yeah, it's not something that I have a lot of affinity for. So going into this, I was kind of just like, well, I just want this to be a dumb action movie. Uh, you know, being funny, you know, that'd be nice. But really, I just need to deliver on the title, Violent Mm -hmm. Night, and I'll be satisfied. And I'll tell you this, I was actually kind of moved. I think for like, this is rare. I don't know that I can even think of 
a Christmas movie that made me kind of that put me in the holiday spirit that made me kind of buy into the kind of hokey sort of, um, uh, you know, Christmas time narratives about like family and all that. It's not something that really touches me. And here, weirdly enough, I found it all the more effective, I think, even not even in spite of, but because of the violence. Well, yeah, I think. A couple of interesting things about that, too, because, again, you hear 87 North and like we were both, I think, a little let down by day shift, especially you with how high your expectations were. But I think there was like there was still some definitely some really inspired action sequences in that in a way that this movie go- doesn't go for it in that way. But I think it makes sense because, you know, I think if you had uh, this this actual this this literal fat man, you know bouncing off the walls like the vampires do in day shift that would just look kind of ridiculous we get we mean we get his own ridiculous origin story here but it's like it, it's it still finds a way to be violent without necessarily being like the most athletic movie and uh i i kind of i i, I kind of appreciated that uh but at the same time like i i see what you're saying where it's like you might have come for the action i think you got something out of the other stuff but i think like david harbour deserves a lot of credit for that because as as like uh as much as some of the stuff in this movie works, like I, I really think like most of the rest of the cast is just like aside from like a few of the henchmen is like are really not all that in, in the little girl, but like most of the rest of the cast are just kind of eh, you know. Oh yeah, absolutely. He's doing putting in superhuman work, but to zone zoom out a little bit. Um, here's the thing that I find so appealing about Violent Night. Mm-hmm. It's that it is very, it's very much. I think you know. I was thinking about this just before we started. I think this is kind of my Top Gun Maverick in a way. Uh, I feel like Top Gun Maverick kind of resonated with a lot of people because it harkens back to a sort of older, I mean, at this point, like 30 years odd out, you know, uh, 30 odd years out, I should say. The people um, that have hard-ons for the military industrial complex? Well, them too. But I mean, to, but more more specifically, it, it kind of harkens back to the kind of 90s, 80s mode of blockbuster action entertainment, you know, where it's kind of rugged, it's tactile, you know, a little campy a little cheesy you know but um you know in a way that kind of makes the viewing experience like very pleasant and i feel like this movie does i mean clearly i mean you listen to the premise and it is home alone meets die hard like that's mm-hmm. what this is um which i guess home alone is already kind of die hard but uh, this kind of really amps it up to 11 with the, you know, their, their, the family, this rich home is being besieged by this, you know, uh, military threat. And kid here's Santa. Cl- and yeah, little kid doing, oh my God, the little kid doing. But anyways, so I think that this movie, honestly, uh, from the start, I was very excited to, you know, you hear the bouncing score and you see how the characters kind of talk to each other and the the kind of like winking one-liners, although not so, how do I put it? I feel like there is a version of this kind of movie that kind of revels in the ridiculousness. And it's like, hey, isn't it funny that we're doing this? Can you believe that this is even happening? Kind of like a I'm trying to think of an example of like one of these sort of like genre movies that really lean into. I'm trying to think of something that people would recognize, because honestly, the first thing that like ready or not, how they're kind of in on the joke a little kind of. But I was thinking more. (laughs) Nobody's going to understand this psycho gore man. Uh, from last year uh, or, oh, yeah, oh, you one. know, it's Turbo Kid or, you know, you remember that short Kung Fury that made the waves a couple of years back? It rings a bell, but I can't say I saw it. It was like a 30 minute like short film about, you know, it's like this rock star who then goes and he fights dinosaurs and Thor or something like that. And it's meant to be like kind of catered, catered to like the like kind of wild 80s genre filmmaking. But because it's so winking and self-knowing, it ends up feeling fake. Now, this movie, instead, it is very much a lot of this movie could play like an 80s studio family 
Christmas movie, weirdly enough. Um, I, the director is Tommy Workola, as you said. I'm not very familiar with his work, but uh, I know that last year he did like this black comedy film. So I clearly this is a guy with like and, and the dead snow movies, I believe, are also black comedies. So I, this is a guy with a clear comic instinct. And I think that sort of verve lends itself to this kind of material because instead of trying to uh, sell you on like this idea that like, oh, this is a crazy wild thing that we're doing and just rebelling in that every single moment of the film, it instead aims to be like a family sort of movie. You know, it's not not to say that it's necessarily very deep, but uh, I'm trying to think of an example of like a Christmas movie, a studio Christmas movie. I'm thinking Jack Frost, honestly, because that was what I grew up with. You remember that one? Michael Keaton. Michael Ke- yeah, exactly. Yeah. I got a headache every single time we put that movie on at home and I still watched it all the time. Uh, it tells you what you do as a kid. You just watch any old bullshit you have. But instead of like leaning into like the sort of like postmodern take on a material like this, it is very entrenched in like how this sort of story would be told like 40 years ago. And I think it makes it kind of novel uh, in the filmmaking environment of today. You just mean in like the way it kind of like, even apart from the violence of it, it gives you kind of like that family coming together at the holidays kind of feel, even if it soon undercuts it with how these people are at each other's throats. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Like I think the cadence and the the mm-hmm. the way that the film is edited and the rhythm of the piece really does feel like a movie like out of time in a way. It feels far more, I don't know, methodical. There's a world where this plays like a uh, a riff heavy studio comedy in the vein of like, uh, like an Apatow movie sure. uh, and, and it doesn't do that really uh, it's not that self-aware and it takes its time to like kind of like lean into the uh, <laughs> the kind of like cheesy cliched instincts of I movies guess like I, I don't know if I was uh, if I was really on its wavelength for that part of the movie though and I still enjoyed it it's just like I just I think I it's guess corny. I, I, mean, I understand it because it is corny it is corny and like the performances aren't good the characters are very very shallowly written um, I will say that like the uh, the family itself, like there's only like a handful of people and they're not given any more depth to them beyond the fact that, you know, the rich ones are vapid. And then our main guy is trying to get out from under their thumb. He's got a wife whose world is probably is literally just the wife and precocious kid. And that's it. Yeah. And I guess I maybe part of me is being a little unfair and like comparing it to some, a couple other movies that came to mind with respect to developing the characters, because it has to give a disproportionate amount of time to Santa Claus. And, and then it has this whole whole entire like cast of like goons and uh, and a villain. And I so I, I guess in my head, I was like, look, if you're going to like, you know, have this thing where you're kind of like it's this awful rich family, you know, I guess I just had more ideas in my head of like other families that had been a little more uh that popped a little more on screen and i and i and i did think about ready or not a little bit and i and i did and i can't help it i just saw glass onion last week but again that that's like, yeah i thought some, about glass onion and and, 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 and and again it's, it's not like a mystery or anything and that, that movie literally only has to focus on like what six different characters basically and here it's like I, and and doesn't really i mean other than benoit blanc doesn't really have to like give and he doesn't even really have that disproportionate amount of screen time compared to all the other people in that one compared to what harbor has here so it's like i can't really expect all of these characters to be like the most well-developed but still like just like none of them pop for me and we spent a lot of time with them and it's just a very like uh you know rote story about like someone stealing some money from the from their rich family and uh, and and also, I, it didn't help for me that I I, I think Leguizamo was kind of miscast. It, it it just felt like every time he like tried to be menacing, he was like almost grinning. It was very strange to me. I don't 
And I, I, I don't, I don't necessarily have anything against him, but it just felt like, man, like so few of the performances pop, but I still like, I still had so much fun with Harbor and the kid and just the crunchy, gory action that like it, it got me through it. It's just, I don't know if I really got that much out of like those family scenes like that, that the guy that plays the dad is just like such a zero. You oh know? yeah. He's awful. He's awful. Yeah. Now, now I don't disagree with any of what you said. All I can say to that is that, I mean, this is very much to me in keeping with my idea of like a holiday family Christmas movie that I grew, would grow up with that I would see in like the 90s. And sure. I, it's one of the, it is still a flaw because there's a world where you get more out of this premise. But like, yeah. I think in a way, the fact that it does begin in this sort of like hackneyed sort of like cliched, not very, not very unique sort of way, like whence the uh the violence gets started it kind of punctuates that and i think this is also uh, the, the fact that it's so utterly unremarkable i think it kind of does make the more emotional moments uh, well, so, so to speak pop in light of how it did start were, were you like re- really taken aback or just like not surprised when the first guy to eat it is the, like the, the the black security guard it's like oh of course uh, they would kill the black guy first or was like, uh, i was no, actually I like kind of thrown off by it i was like, I was like well I, I think they did lull me into something of like a, a little bit of like a holiday state because I was kind of like, oh, God, when that happened, when I honestly should not have been that surprised, I suppose. <laughs> no, no. I mean, here's the thing. I, I, I will say I didn't even really take into account the fact the first guy that I was black. I didn't really even notice. But um, like in his like two minutes of screen time, he seems like the nicest guy ever, too. Uh, which guy was it? I'm, I genuinely don't remember. No, the guy that was like working the security booth at the front of the property. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, not surprising, not surprising. Um, uh, you know, I was a little sad, like, oh no, but that was, I really liked him. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> um, but yeah, no. So, I, I, you know, like you said, like we get this set up with the family, the rich family, who are very shallow as characters and like, you know, as, as written. But, you know, then you get into the kind of diehard portion of the movie. I, I should say, when did, when you saw this movie, were you in a, like a packed theater or? No, I mean, I saw eight o'clock. I was in a, I was in Adobe at my AMC. Um, but like it was at a, it was, it was basically like me and like probably like 10 other people. And that was it. But like, I mean, it was a pretty engaged audience though. Like everyone laughed at the right spots. Yeah. I saw it in a crowd, uh, the biggest theater, theater in the multiplex. And, uh, you know, it was a crowd of maybe, I guess maybe 30, 40 people, maybe not packed, packed, but like a decent amount of people. And like, yeah, it, it's a, com- as a comedy, I thought that it worked very well. Granted. I'm I'm very terrible with going and thinking back to like specific jokes. You know, it it is very funny. Uh, there's a lot of like nice little one-liners. Uh, st- the kind of stuff that it doesn't linger on it, nor on the comedy. I mean to say, it doesn't linger on the comedy. It doesn't really like mock f- or, or, or what's it called when you're like really mugging the camp. Yeah, there it goes. It doesn't mug for jokes really. Um, and there's not like that riff-heavy stuff that you get in like modern studio comedies that i kind of find really annoying where like there's like spaces in the uh in the dialogue and in the the dialogue scenes for people to laugh it doesn't really do that stuff it is very much more akin to like a comedy that would have come out like 30 40 years ago and i really appreciate that the all right so i guess we should talk about the thing that had me excited the most the action yeah uh it's good it's good action now i will say here that it's it's action that i think was better designed than it was like implemented or executed in the end uh, in this world santa claus was a was a viking warrior back in the day and he fell into the role so you know he's very big very strong you know he's tatted up he's got like uh tattoos of like mistletoe and like snowflakes all over his body 
got a very ex-con sort of feel to him. And he's throwing dudes around. He's smacking them with hammers and making them fly backwards 10 feet, you know. Uh, and they really do a lot to emphasize his strength and like his his age and his the fact that he's not quite the young mobile warrior that he once was. Um, and all that is quite good, especially once they start throwing like, you know, dozens of people his way for him to tear through. Um, I will say that every single time a hammer landed on some dude's head and just flattened it and a burst of like real pl- practical blood came out. Um, I laughed. I laughed like a maniac. Um, that's the kind of fan I am. However, all the action is like so dark. All the action is so dark. Like every single scene is like cast in like shadow, particularly the one set, this one like really tremendous set piece in like a tool shed that I would have loved to be able to legibly see. And in this way, I feel like, I mean, I haven't seen any of Ricola's other movies, but it might be his instincts as like a horror director kind of clashing with this idea of making a sort of like 80s throwback studio action comedy. Um, because I feel like if the, this is one of those cases where if this movie was lit like flatly in the same way that most studio comedies are today, it might have weirdly been a little more effective, both in allowing you to see the action and also kind of selling you more on the idea of, you know, this being like a a family comedy before the violence starts. Uh, it would have made for him. I think a more interesting juxtaposition as it stands. I can, like, I can see that, but it didn't really bother me as it was going on. Cause I just kind of understood why it was, it was at night, you know, I didn't really think too hard about it. Yeah, I suppose. But like, you know, it's still, I think antithetical to like shooting like the best action, you know, I, that being said, like, I think that the mood of the piece does kind of still work. Like it is for a studio comedy of today, more textured and more interesting to look at than something like, I don't know, bros, but like going another way might've made uh, the action and the film as a whole, like a little stronger. Like I said, like I kind of said at the beginning of the podcast, like I kind of like respected that it wasn't like high flying and athletic. It was just kind of slug it out, but also I enjoyed the creativity with some of the stuff with the kills. Like I, it's just oh, like, yeah. if, if you, if, if you find something to stab someone with, it's not a regular thing to stab someone with, like I'll get a kick out of that. Like, yeah. Icicles like, and like using star, the environment. Star ornaments <laughs> and, and then and plugging like it that. in. Uh, yeah. He burns his head and then he goes on the phone and he's like, or in the radio and he's like, you know, oh yeah, put a, he got a fucking star in his head. Like, you know, it's just funny. It's just, it, I, I like that sort of atmosphere. Or even how like, wasn't afraid to like have the little girl even I mean, kind of inadvertently kill someone, you know, it's just like, well, we'll just go there. We don't even to care. bring like, the you know. little girl into the violence, Um, which I should say that I honestly did find this movie weirdly touching. And I think it was the juxtaposition between like the graphic violence and, you know, the Jean Legozama, like cursing at everybody and the psychopath guy who's very, very giddy at the thought of crushing a guy's balls, putting all that against like a very sweet sort of like tale of this girl who just wants her parents to get back together for the holidays who wants to believe in Santa Claus, Um, the purity of how they treat that part of the story, the purity of the interactions between the little girl and David Harbour, who we should get to in a moment. I think it's that juxtaposition that like really sold the heart of the movie for me. Well, yeah, I mean, kind of the next thing I was going to ask you about was just like, because you mentioned it having heart earlier. And I mean, I see what you're saying where it kind of like gives you this family setup, but like, I think the heart of the movie is, is Santa and the kid. So, yes. I mean, what moments about that really kind of struck a chord with you, I suppose? I guess I, mean, I will say that David Harbour is kind of like doing heavy duty in 
I mean, those scenes and this movie as a whole, I think the little girl is fine, which isn't always a uh, which isn't always a given when you're dealing with child actors. Mm. Um, but but David Harbour is really like imbuing this character with a sort of like world weariness, but also like a sort of basic humanism. Uh, you know, he's upset that, you know, the the world has come to like just him delivering video games and money to people. You know, he goes into people's homes and at best. I can point out video games when you needed a weapon. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, like he he's tired of the whole, you know, what Christmas has become, this kind of consumerist sort of, you know, it's I, honestly, it's all the same sort of bullshit that you see in like pretty much every single Christmas movie. But I did but, like um, through how through through how how through all of his like cynicism and frustration, like he did kind of buy that he cared about the good kid when he looked at the thing and he saw who was on the nice list. And I guess it's it really again is just kind of a credit to you know his performance and I suppose the writing too that like you know it's like at the end of the day like as gruff as this guy is on the exterior and as as much as he's just cursing stuff under his breath, like I did believe he was like a good dude at the end of the day. And I saw, so I really, and I, that he had some affection for this girl. And I think that like, it's cool to like find that kind of, you know, those kind of tender moments and like uh, in an otherwise like gruesome film. Yeah. And I think that that goes into like, you know, it, it even feeds into the action. The fact that, you know, he's a big, strong man, but he is still like, you know, his best years are kind of behind him. I think that with every step that he takes and every single kind of look that he makes, it sort of, he sort of sells this idea that, you know, he's a man with a long, long past behind him. And he's kind of questioning, you know, what it is that motivates him to like take every next step. And, you know, it's just very, very sweet to have him on the comms with a, with a little girl and have him say like, you know, these are the, you know, relay like the past Christmases, uh, what he would try to give her, the way that he would try to bring joy into her life and, you know, how much value he sees in life through the eyes of like, uh, you know, a child who's been unspoiled by the world. Uh, it, it is honestly, I, 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 I didn't quite tear up, but like, I'll admit that it did warm the heart of this one Scrooge. I will say that. Well, speaking of the Scrooge of the movie, I didn't, like I said, I didn't love the, I didn't love the Leguizamo character, but I think it, an interesting way it kind of did balance the tones too was that like i enjoyed some of those henchmen and him just shitting on his henchmen more than i actually enjoyed him like getting mad at like the santa of it all and 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 the family and all that like when when like when his uh um when his his two his right hand man and his right hand woman start like making comments about that might be the real sand he's no it's fucking not that's ridiculous shut up and how they were just like doubting him i i enjoyed their bickering a lot like i I found that to be some of the funnier stuff in the movie as opposed to just like whatever it was that like was almost doing when he was he will he he was the one that was mean mugging that just like didn't necessarily like do a ton for me but like i again i i i just kind of enjoyed when the movie like you know maybe what and it's kind of the same thing i think i said about fat man where it's like i didn't want it to take the premise as serious as it did seriously as it did and here and and this one i felt like it took the time to like have fun in the right moments but like you know like you said give you some moving moments as well and i i just think it struck that balance pretty well and like well at the same time like i i I, again i just found myself like pretty impressed that i i feel like i got as much out of this movie as i did when there were parts of it where i didn't get that much out of it and uh and and yeah i just think it, it 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 finds a way to like you know it's impressive how much it accomplishes with respect to like look the action but also like all these emotional beats that like someone like you who's as big of an action movie fan as you are seems way more like into this movie for like the non-action stuff which i think is cool i know yeah it's weird that like i walked out of the 
that like you know the action's good but it's not really what grabbed me um mm-hmm. i will say um, leguizamo i'm i'm of two minds i kind of am with you in that like he's not very menacing but in a weird way i do find that kind of entertaining the fact that he's he just feels like some guy and here he is bossing around these like commando units uh you know uh i like the interaction between all the i i should i really wish that i could recall like specific jokes man but like there are a lot that like you know a lot of the interactions i know that like when um he's trying to like torture them he's like threatening to torture these people you know he gets like a big nutcracker and he's like to the dad he's like take out his balls and put them in the put it in the nutcracker and his henchmen are like i'm not going to do that i don't want to touch his balls and they're like i've seen you i've seen you shoot a man dead in the head and she's like i would do that i would do that if you asked me to but like i'm not going to touch his balls okay (laughs) well okay yeah and i'm i maybe not the same at remembering specific jokes but i i enjoyed that one another one i enjoyed in the same vein as that one uh, no pun intended was where the the like the sister and the husband they have this dumb kid that's like dressed like justin bieber and is like an influencer and he's just saying stupid shit the entire movie and it's like he can just tell he's a dummy but at one point look is like still pissed off he's like all right I'm going to start killing you guys one by one. So you tell me who, who called the Santa Claus or whatever. And then the kid, the, the kid that's just been such a moron the whole time is like, what if you kill the one of us who knows or something like that? And he's like, God damn it. <laughs> yeah, he that, walks away. that got a huge laugh in my theater. Yeah. Um, there's also, uh, there's, there's also like a, a, a side character who's like, I think there with like the sister who's like just a, a dumb, like has been actor kind of guy. Mm-hmm. At one point, one of the characters is like saying that Santa isn't real to like the little girl. <laughs> and this dumb guy looks over and he's like, wait really <laughs> like i even well i mean one thing i'm not sure if i was i don't even think i was supposed to laugh at was that like i think i i laughed at like the first time when like when the dad spoiled santa for the girl i can't even remember his name because he's such a, he's such a nothing uh, he's jason, such a nothing character jason yeah. lightstone that's his name god that, what, a, what a fucking i guess it's supposed <laughs> to be like the firestone family the lightstone family uh when but like when jason like is this yells at his kid like santa's not real and she keeps trying to say she's talking to santa like i i, I don't know i just laughed at that and it's terrible because like i mean I'm, I, as a kid that was like raised Jewish, you never had to have Santa ruined for him. Though I don't think I was like one of those Gentiles that like ruins uh, Santa for uh, for the Christians. But like I, I, I just got a kick <laughs> out of it. Like that that was like supposed to be the big dramatic moment. Santa's not real. And I, I cannot. I, 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 just, I, I for the life of me, every time I watch a movie like this, I try to think if there was like a moment where I was like Santa isn't real, and I don't think there ever was a moment came where. To yeah, I don't I don't remember a big like revelatory. I guess I don't know. I don't know what it is. I guess at a certain point I just stopped thinking about One it. One thing I, I I was thinking about as I was watching this movie when like whenever you're you're watching any kind of movie that has Santa Claus in it, it's like I, I always think like, so what do the parents think in this world? You know, or something like that, where it's like if if you're gonna accept that like for that reality that Santa's real, then like but like in this in this movie, yeah, the parent doesn't think Santa's a- real. Yeah, so it's like, um, I guess I guess in that yeah, actually now that you say well, that, like, but the, so I, but the idea at one point like Santa in this movie, which I think is interesting, is like telling the girl like, oh, I, I'm there for the people that need me. So it's almost like implied that like he's a discerning Santa that doesn't have to go to every house; he just goes to the house for the people that really need the cheer. I, I, look, I know that it's not something you're supposed to think about. I do know that like right. I was actually listening to a podcast on like the Santa Claus, where like oh. they were pointing out this exact saying like it doesn't make any sense and like yeah it doesn't make any sense here because if you think about it she had like a loving family up until like recently um and so why is it that this santa had to get her a kite that one year you know what i mean it doesn't make any sense she really needed to be cheered up i guess that one year and mm-hmm. so what did the parents think when she showed up with a kite, with the kite <laughs> like, yeah exactly like it doesn't make any sense but you know what it's 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 christmas magic i don't really understand it myself
uh, which is a refrain in this movie. Anytime something happens that doesn't really make a lot of sense, they just wave their hands and say Christmas magic. Yeah. Which- so, so, also, what did you think about that? That I think that's a different spin on the character, even from something like the Fat Man. One, one thing I did remember liking about the Fat Man was when, and I think he's actually just called Fat Man, not the Fat Man, but I'm, I keep calling it the Fat Man. Yeah, like same. one thing about one thing about Fat Man that kind of jumped out to me that as like oh i kind of like this part of it was when he would just kind of screw with people and he just like kind of like knew their whole life story because santa oh, i always all. i always love that it's like it's, and, like, and I enjoy it's like it's like the zatoichi like you know you know uh zatoichi is like this uh long-running japanese character that ran for like 26 movies uh he's like a blind swordsman and he's blind but he has like super senses like daredevil so he always can like tell if somebody's like Mm. you know cheating at dice or something and there's always like a couple scenes in every movie where he like reveals like through his super senses that he knows something that people assume that he wouldn't and like there's plenty of that in this movie where like he goes like oh yeah you i remember when you were seven years old you kept that you wrote 15 times asking for this train set or whatever or this bicycle <laughs> and he's freaking out the henchman by saying that and then john liquid was like you fucking idiot like you know every kid wants a fucking bicycle which made me laugh again funny this is a funny movie um well, yeah well i mean i so I and I again like that stuff worked for me again. It worked in the Fat Man. It worked here for me. I I don't know why. I just get a kick out of like a, a character being thrown off when they're so confident yeah, no, one same. moment and just like saying one thing like about their childhood can like throw them off. Something about that will just like really tickle uh, tickle my ivories for whatever whatever yeah. term. But like I but I'm curious like. It takes it like three steps beyond that with respect to the Santa and gives him his own entire war and origin story. Uh, and, and like, and, and it can do that, can do this like magic where he teleports by like, like blowing his nose, his nose, basically rubbing his yeah. nose and can shoot up chimneys. And I mean, I think the, w- one of the more memorable final kills you might ever see in an oh, action movie beautiful. in this one. Um, so, what did you make of like making this like a, like a supernatural Santa as opposed to just like a Santa that ages really just slowly, some guy? Like, yeah. yeah. Um, well, I mean, Santa Claus always kind of like was a sort of magical character. I mean, he visits every single house in the night. Uh, you know, he sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. Like it makes a certain sort of sense. Um, I- I'll admit here that like, I mean, for example, I have never seen the Santa Claus. So like there's a lot of like a lot of the like uh, media depictions of Santa Claus. Um, I-, I don't know a lot of them in film. Uh, I remember the, the Christmas that almost wasn't or something like that in which Santa Claus like goes to court and he's on trial or something like that, uh, which was an Italian movie that I forgot that I had seen until I saw it on Letterboxd. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I, I like the treatment of Santa, the Santa mythos here, I suppose. This is totally unrelated to that. Um, I will say that when I was a kid, I would write in to Santa asking for like like fictional items from like tv shows that i really liked i have no idea what my mother was thinking she would read that i'm sure she was just like what the fuck is this idiot asking for <laughs> like you know kudos to her i will say that uh alexis louder is in this movie as the wife it's one of the most thank thankless roles for a woman i've mm-hmm. seen this year and like alexis louder uh if you don't remember was my personal pick for best uh actress last year for cop shop where she holds down you told me about that movie and i never got around to it yeah i i still highly recommend it frank grillo gerard butler and yet alexis i remember remember you talking about her i now remember you talking about yeah Yeah. so clearly the star uh she's brilliant and i really hope that um the next movie i see her in isn't in like an anthony mccartan written like biopic about some famous black woman because you know i don't want to see her in like till two or whatever She's only 26 years old. Interesting. So yeah. when she when they made this movie, she would have been like like 25 with like a 
with like a 10 year old daughter but you know whatever it works i mean they, yeah. they age her up enough that i didn't i wasn't like oh my god she's too uh she's too young to have a kid of that age but like i didn't realize i did not expect her to only be born in 1996 when i pulled her up her yeah baby. same uh, i will say by the way um i know that we already talked about the action but uh this was actually a uh, stunt coordinator second unit director was jonathan Usibo. Usibio. i don't know if i'm pronouncing his name right who is like one of the 87 north guys um he was most recently like stunt coordinator and like second unit on the obi-wan show but he does pretty much like everything like he's he was the, been the fight coordinator for all the john wick movies he does a lot of the marvel movies like he was like stunt coordinator on like black panther and i think fight choreographer on like the avengers like the first avengers movie like mm. this is a guy who's like a really he's kind of a big deal in the action universe uh, i would love if one day he got his own sort of like day shift you know if he was allowed to direct like his own big feature action movie um you could see that happening with the way it seems like they operate at that place you know yeah it would be really nice i would really appreciate that i mean i don't know we, we kind of talk broadly about the action but i mean it, i mean i guess a lot of it really is just like him running around that house until they kind of go on the go on the chase at the end i don't know if there was anything really all that special about the snowmobile chase given up until no, like the final no, kill really. like there, there there wasn't anything that really like stood out about that to me um, i will say that like maybe that middle maybe in that middle section i think that well, there's maybe some fat that could be trimmed um well, just you, know what, because... you know what i will say well actually is that i think they should have done like i mean again it's just a missed opportunity with like you know with with the, with the with the jason character and then like that's supposed to be the big thing you know it's like look you can have all the stuff with the with with the mom or excuse me have all the stuff with santa and the kid but like clearly like there's 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 enough of a runtime to this that they're trying to make something of this sub this subplot with the the family and trying to get away and steal the money and it just man i think it really falls flat because that guy has no charisma as an actor and yeah, like if there, if there had been, uh, you know, you been no, if there had been like just like I mean, I feel like that's supposed to that, that should be like some kind of like well, it's not really a heel, it's not really a heel turn because they want they want him to get back together, and I guess he's supposed to be the idea is he's like stealing from the evil family, but like there's like so little personality when he actually does it. He, okay, so he was in the tragedy of Macbeth last year, but I couldn't have really told you that I guess off the bat. He no. was in Cowboy Bebop, a movie that a lot of uh, a show that a lot of people didn't really care for. Suburbicon. And uh, you remember uh, Suburbicon? I don't think I actually saw that. Yeah, very, very. I guess he's kind of friends with the Coen brothers somehow. Then obviously, but like I, uh, using I got I yeah. I just guy just has not done a ton, and it's like I I I, feel, I just feel like that moment where he's revealed to have like done that to the family. That should have been something that just landed a lot harder than it did. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you there. I do. I, I to be fair to him, I think that's more a problem with the script than it is with any of these performances. Because don't forget, Alexis Louder doesn't doesn't really feel like much here either and i know she's a great actress you know you've got beverly d'angelo playing i will admit here i say that as if i'm like a huge beverly d'angelo fan i i, I don't even really know who beverly d'angelo is um i know that she was in like i think she's famous for being in like the christmas vacation movies like the national lampoon movies right so she's but, the mom like, in that so it's kind of funny to have her as like the really cynical mom in this yeah i guess that's a nice little in joke if you recognize her but i've only seen her in like a handful of movies um and i don't remember her in any of them i think the, the only uh actually recently i had seen her in um a honky tonk freeway and she's actually pretty good there so i'll give her that uh so yeah i don't think that it's a problem with the actors necessarily um i think that it is more just script direction like you know choosing to focus more on the action than like fleshing out this family which i think would have made for a stronger like uh emotional pull to the story beyond just the little girl and santa um, mm -hmm. That being said, I do like the there's a moment where like the family kind of gets to gang up on one 
uh, henchmen. And I will say that I did quite like how that moment played out, even if it, you know, would have benefited from a bit more characterization. Yeah, no, that that was a lot of fun. And that and that henchman in particular is fun. So like while I'm complaining oh, yeah, about yeah. some of the I forget thing, which like, one. Do you remember which one that was? I don't remember his name, but I, just, I I remember what he looked like in his general disposition and very you know, distinct. So yeah, so oh, I, I think can, it was. He looked, he looked he like was, an, he looked like an elf. I mean, he was, he played he he was uh I think his codename was Krampus, which uh you know Krampus yeah. Uh, I've never seen the movie. Well, it's like a it's like the like, I guess yeah the folk tale yeah. yeah. Well, all of the all of the the villain or all the henchmen in this movie had kind of names of that. Which is by bit. the way. It's just one of those little like '80s esque touches that mm-hmm. I love. They were I'm like got them in front of me. Sugar plum, frosty, candy cane, gingerbread. That's just fun. I like that. Speaking of gingerbread, I laughed like every time Santa picked up a cookie in this movie. I don't know why. It's like you know, <laughs> Santa like ha- having cookies left out for him. The joke joking that Santa's fat because he eats cookies all the time. Like nothing unique about that. But like something about David Harbour. Every time he just like picked up a cookie and just stuck it stuffed like, oh, in his pocket. Oh, and he, oh, yeah, he's, <laughs> he's just. <laughs> He's just like being all jolly more so than any other point at like when he picks up a cookie or when he grabs like a like an 80 year old bottle of scotch like something about that just really got me uh, and, also dumps like, out, and dumps out the skim milk into a bucket yeah i should also just say i'm like a sucker like i mean i guess it's because i'm maybe i'm five at heart i'm a sucker for little kids saying curse words in movies oh it'll, yeah it'll just also get me so even the girl just saying asshole and then anus like i don't i, I mean like i can't i can't help it i'm gonna laugh at that it's i'm, I'm such an easy mark so it's like things like that, that'll stick out to me on top of like the, the fun kills. Like I, I liked when it was just like, I, I get it. It's like the most basic home alone level stuff, but it's like them being like seeing the nail in the, in the, in the, in the staircase, in, in the ladder to the attic. Yeah. But then there being like another stair cut right on top of it. Oh like, yeah. I, I that's I beautiful. I mean, that's beautiful. That yeah, is so that must simple, be, that's, but that's, great, simple, but effective. That makes me kind of wish that Orloco gets to do like Home Alone 6 or whatever, because that's just a masterclass and like selling a little moment. Like, yeah, you know that like Home Alone would not play out that way in real life. But then you take it like a step further and then you show how something like that would really play. Like, it's just great. I mean, and I think that is kind of, I mean, it's been a while since I've seen Home Alone. I think I'm pretty sure that's probably like part of how some of the pranks work there where like Kevin like sets up something that like looks really obvious such that they'd avoid it. But then maybe it comes back to like bite them later on. And like, at least that's kind of how they do it here where it's like when they did like, there's just like this big plate of nails at the bottom of the ladder to the attic or whatever. It's like, and he's just like steps aside, but like, you know, that's in there in your head when you start seeing bowling balls going at his face. And yeah. once he climbs up there and it's like, Oh wow, this is like incre- incredibly well executed. And like, like, I, I don't know if it, it may, like, so or they're, at that sitting, point, they're they're not they're not even necessarily getting killed by the ingenuity of a little girl. They're getting killed by their own like kind of lack stupidity. of like, forethought. Yeah. yeah. And and again, like I mean, uh, not exactly like the highest highest brow stuff, but like I mean, it it it, it, it did get me to laugh. So no, same like, same same. We're, 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 we're sitting here talking about how like we can't remember specific little jokes, but we're thinking about more of them as we go on because like it it does a good job of sprinkling that stuff in. Oh, the music! I actually really did like the score for this movie. It is kind of unremarkable but because it's like you know kind of leaning into like being like a studio christmas movie like i don't know like it in being so basic it kind of enhances like the sense that oh this is just your this is just an average sort of christmas movie and um it makes that juxtaposition between like the family stuff and the like wholesomeness of like the christmas storyline and the believing in christmas stuff 
and the violence it, it, it kind of like sells that in a way that I found really it honestly might be in my like my five for the year uh funnily enough the composer for this film uh Dominic Lewis also is the composer on Spirited the Apple Christmas movie with um Ryan Reynolds and Will Ferrell that I walked out of you know when we did the uh when they did that Monday mystery movie at Regal uh oh, and he also I, did Boulder didn't you didn't you go to like another one of those Monday things that you walked out of or no, maybe it was, didn't, or oh, no, Elijah walked out of world's greatest beer run and you stuck. Yeah, you stuck exactly. Out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I learned from that and I did not stick around for spirited. I feel like I'd seen, I'm looking at spirited now on Wikipedia. I, and I, I think somehow I, I I'd avoided learning of this movie's existence. I feel like I seen this image of that poster somewhere, but not even like, it didn't even register enough for me to like, learn more about what it was i was like oh like there's some kind of advertisement with will ferrell and rod ryan reynolds and then, then they, i just finally kept kept it moving and that's it so i had no idea this was a movie that existed on apple tv plus until just now. oh it, it does and it is not good like that is a movie where like i think if the music were fine or if like they put a little more imagination in like the the dancing numbers like i would have stick around but like the music sucks um, I don't really like Will Ferrell or um, certainly not Ryan Reynolds. It's not funny at all. And uh, the music is terrible. Oh, and the uh, it's totally unimaginative in how it uh, uh, does the musical numbers. Like, it's just like a three camera setup and it's just it's just really dull. I don't But tell I us don't... how you really feel about it. <laughs> <laughs> it is. No, we'll say that it is no violent night. Any other final thoughts on violent night, Daniel? Oh, it's just a, just a great movie. I mean, I am it, maybe I was primed to enjoy it because I've currently been on like a kind of a rut of like movies that I have not liked. Um, like I saw The Fablemans and I hated it. Uh, I saw like this and I I saw uh, last year at Marion Bad and I hated that. Like it has not been a great run. So like to see something like this, that kind of like the simple ambitions, it hit what it wanted to do very well, very well executed. You know, you've got a great lead performance, which is in my five, I think for the year, you got good action, not the best action. You know, I have do have to note that, but like so much of this movie does work for me and to see it in an audience that was really digging it. Like my audience loved this movie. Uh, like they were applauding at like the moment, like he sees like a hammer in a tool shed that mm. got an applause. Like people were cheering and that is the kind of energy that I want from movies today. Like, so I was a really big fan of this one and I couldn't recommend it enough. You want a good time. And then later on, there's at one point where the, some other version of the hammer pops up and Trudy's like, skull crusher. <laughs> and it, we all cheered at that too. We all cheered at that too. Um, yeah, I guess, you know, I mean, I think I may, I might, I might've liked it a tick below Daniel, but like, I still had a really great time with it. And uh, you know, look, there's just so much to enjoy here uh, just between the action, which again is, you know, maybe don't go in expecting John Wick. I'd say just go in like expecting some unique stuff. And uh, and, and so you're, you're not going to get like, you know, the most intricate hand-to-hand combat necessarily, but you're going to get some fun tools that are used in hand-to-hand combat in lieu of hand-to-hand combat that are just as interesting to watch in certain instances. And uh, oh, I will say, I'm so sorry with the moment where he puts like uh, a bunch of cue balls into his hat or something and he starts using that <laughs> as a weapon. Brilliant. Because on, on real talk, if I ever make an action movie, I'm having a scene where somebody puts a bunch of cue balls into a thing and then uses that as a weapon. That is from if I, I, I don't know if this is a deliberate sort of ref- reference, but um, there's a famous scene in um, 
oh out for justice the uh the movie by oh man what's his name steven seagal oh yeah yeah yeah. yeah steven seagal movie where like he does that at a bar and uh it's great it's a beautiful weapon to use and they use uh, uh, you know an action movie you know you i want to see you use the environment in a unique sort of way uh they move through the space in this one in a really uh dynamic sort of way like i said they lean like you've been saying they lean into like the physical capabilities of the actors and don't you know, there's not that there's not like a bunch of kung fu flips and there's not the same sort of like quick paced precision that you find in John Wick. But uh, it is an action with personality, action that does tell story through movement. And uh, that's all very great. Daniel, anything else you've been watching recently that you wanted to direct the listeners to? Well, I have no idea. Like, you know, you're going to have to do some digging for these until they get proper releases. But um, yesterday night, I at work. Uh, finally got around to seeing uh, The Killer, A Girl Who Deserves to Die, and Project Wolf Hunting. Now, uh, The Killer, A Girl Who Deserves to Die, okay, just The Killer. Um, this is directed by mm, a guy who I don't actually know too much about, Choi Jai Hoon. Uh, he directed uh, The Swordsman, which was a kind of like uh, Korean like historical action movie from a couple years ago. Uh, and this one is very much like a man from nowhere sort of setup. Uh, he's a hitman who um, has to watch his wife's friend's daughter for a weekend or something. And, uh, you know, things go awry and he has to go and save her and kill a bunch of people. Uh, the action is very John Wick influenced, but very dynamic in a way uh, that I found that I really appreciated. It's funny, uh, funnier than I kind of expected it to be. And uh, Bruce Kahn's in it. You know, I, I actually don't know the main guy. I don't even know if he's like a real martial artist, but Bruce Kahn is the star of Revenger. He's this big hulking <laughs> Korean dude who's, you know, like kind of like I got I can't help but think of Bolo Young when I see him and he's great and their fight scenes are great. Uh, you know, I think that this is one of some of my favorite action of the year. And, you know, it's a cool 90 minutes, which these Korean movies, man, they go two hours and above. So very appreciative of the short length. But I was a bigger fan of Project Wolf Hunting, which is about a bunch of criminals being transported on a ship from the Philippines to South Korea. They get out, get loose, but then there's something else on the boat that, you know, uh, gets loose also. And then it becomes like, you know, this kind of free for all on this cargo container. Uh, It is one of the most violent movies of the year in a year full of like violent movies you know you got terrifier 2 you had um um the sadness from uh taiwan i believe uh and now you have project wolf hunting which i i i was genuinely shocked at some of the like kills in this movie and i'm not somebody who often gets too too shocked um there a lot of really great brutality that is incorporated into really dynamic uh action set pieces um i was i was really taken by this it is like a two-hour movie but i found myself kind of riveted from start to finish so highly recommend that if you can get your hands on it All right. the only thing i've seen in the last uh couple weeks that i haven't already talked about or recommended on the pod Honestly, I rewatched Avatar for the first time since I saw it in theaters, and I missed it when it was in theaters uh, again a few months ago. Just like mm. uh, I don't, I, I just had I was too busy and just did did just didn't work it out to see it one of the nights where they were showing it in my theater. And I, you know what? 
surprised. I, I, I enjoyed it more than I expected to, especially since I didn't see it on a big screen. And I feel like, you know, I, I saw it in theaters when I was what, 18 years old or 19 years old, whenever I would have been when it came out. And I don't really remember having a strong reaction to it then other than being like happy. It didn't win best picture. Cause I think that year I was, I was cheering for inglorious bastards or hurt walker, I guess. But like, I don't, I don't remember it being because of any hate towards avatar, but I just think in the 13 years since then, I've heard so much shit talked about it that I went into it just being like, all right, I need to watch it again. Cause our, our friend Josh Brown has learned Navi in anticipation of the podcast. And I need to like, at least like be up to date on the, uh, on, 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 on what actually happened in that movie. So I just kind of went in like, all right, I'll do this. I'll have low expectations. And, you know, I just gotta say I had a better time with it than I expected, especially given that I was watching it, you know, on like a, on, on my laptop. And, uh, you know, I, uh, I, for all, you know, all the heavy handedness of it being about the war and about climate change and all that, it's like, whatever. I mean, he kind of made a movie with a message and, you know, played with all of his computer toys and made it look really cool. And there's worse ways to spend two hours and 40 minutes, you know? So I'm hoping that like, you know, if you, uh, if you, if you, if you spend 13 years on a movie, like you figure out a way to make it good. So hopefully, hopefully, hopefully it won't be a waste of my time when I go see way of the water. Yeah. I honestly, like I saw it on the IMAX re-release. Yeah. I saw it with a friend who then went to see it like 10 more times during his <laughs> re-release. Uh, they fucking love avatar, the biggest avatar fan I know. <laughs> and uh, you know, honestly watching it, uh, in IMAX in 3D again I was just really taken by the fact that this is a guy who's doing like a big budget studio action movie that's full of CG like it's just I mean it's pr- practically an animated movie but the difference between how Cameron does these and how you know just ex Marvel director does is like you know he is an artist he's a guy with a really distinct vision he knows what he wants to show the viewer he's not just kind of like leaving it for like vfx artists to do in crunch time as they do 80 hour work weeks and miss their families and such no he has a real clear vision of what he wants the viewer to see and feel and you know the way that he uses a 3g technology is it's you know, like nobody else, because, you know, everybody else was doing like post-processing, kind of making what's meant to be 2D into 3D, making it pop out at the viewer. He's trying to envelop you. He made a world and actually gave it literal depth. Exactly. He's trying to envelop you in this world. Like he's a guy who has always been on the forefront of incorporating new technology into filmmaking in order to kind of enhance his ability to tell a story. And uh, I think it comes through with Avatar. I think that we're going to, I think that Avatar 2 is going to really resonate in a way that uh, I think is going to take some people by surprise. And, you know, if it doesn't, you know, bookmark this and then call me an idiot to my face. Mm-hmm. But like, I do think, you know, with like this past, you know, run of Marvel movies that people haven't been too enthused by, you know, like all, all the like, you know, the, the the kind of like failures for movies to kind of light up the box office in a way that studios kind of wanted to. I do think that a movie like this in the hands of a real storyteller uh, to this scale, I think it's going to really catch fire. I did have a bet with our our friend JB about whether or not this makes more money than Avatar 1. And at the time I was like, no, it's not. And he was like, yes, it will. And we made a $20 bet. And I honestly, there's a world where I lose that bet um, in part because we did not account for inflation. Um, But, and also just because like, I do think that, uh, in the post-pandemic world, people are craving experience like this. I think that stuff like uh, yeah, Black, Black, Pan- Black Panther, what kind of forever might not even hit a billion? Which means, say what you will about that movie, but like you know, I and think we did <laughs> let's do that. Episode. We did, we did, but like, but like based on like you know how the first one did, and just like how again star people are for stuff. I'm, you know, I think that that that's an argument for maybe Avatar not hitting that number. You know, so I guess well, uh, the difference is that uh, Wakanda Forever is a 
is a bad movie. And I kind of anticipate that Avatar 2 will be good. Uh, okay. I, I think that Avatar 2 will be at least good. I did not have that same feeling going into Wakanda forever. So um, okay. I, I do think that like we're going to see. I think it does feed into the same thing that the reason why, you know, um, Top Gun Maverick did so well. Why a movie like RRR caught on where other Indian movies did not. Um, I do think that it speaks to like the desire for people to break away from the kind of Marvel, like, you know, modern studio blockbuster mold and to get experiences that are maximalists that are, that have, you know, conveying grandiose sort of ideas that are taking a grandiose approach to filmmaking. Uh, I, I, I think is going to do well. Interesting prediction. We'll be curious to see how it plays out, but definitely, I think, uh, check it out on, check out the original Disney plus if you missed the theater release and just to like, you know, uh, get you back into like the beats of that world and all that. Um, uh, Daniel, uh, you can, or you can find Daniel on uh letterbox at felonious funk. Uh, and uh, you can find me on there at Josh Chernovoy, J O S H J U R N O V O Y. Same on, uh, Twitter, uh, podcast emails, rewind movie pod at gmail.com podcast. Twitter is at rewind movie pod coming up next on the podcast. Ugh, I'm not, exactly sure the order we're putting everything out in you know you may or may not have already heard the banshees of english here in prod that might come after we'll have one on armageddon time and uh i don't know if we're gonna I, there's just all these other smaller movies coming out don't know the order of all of them i know we will have something like i said on avatar way of the water uh with our friends uh josh and elijah so you have that to look forward to at some point in the next two weeks as well and aside from that it's just whenever we get to these other award movies that are coming out at their own pace so jernify uh, weren't you the one telling me that you're very excited to be the only podcast doing an all-male episode on women talking I, I did not say that but i have to figure <laughs> out my guess um but like we will have a one way or the other it will not be all men on that one i will say that uh i can i, I can promise you that but uh you know uh that, that that is coming at some point too i don't i don't really know when but like i i will see that movie because i think that's getting a best picture nomination and I oh yeah to cover for sure all of those. for so, sure yeah there's Everyone's, a world where do you think do you think RR gets in? I haven't I don't I haven't I haven't been paying attention enough to the precursors. So that that guy won the best director at New York Film Festival or Gotham. Yeah, yeah. Or New York one? the New York Film Critics Circle. Like he won best director. And you know, I had been I like, just think not, it'd be real, I, I I just I'll just be happy if it gets in somewhere other than foreign language. That'd be really cool. You know, I was not getting in. It's not getting in. It's not it is not India submission. That's the thing. What? It is not India submission. They submitted some other countries movies. smoking sometimes. You know, I don't. I don't understand it. Every time I brought this up in the group chat, Elijah's like, "Yeah, but that's not how they do things, Daniel. That's not how they submit. They don't just go with whatever." Because like, like at, in India, it is not like uh, considered like you know this grandiose big thing. Like people like it, but uh, it's just considered another one of those kinds of movies. Um, and I don't think it's even the highest earning movie of the year. I think it's KGF two over in India. But, but I know, um, like, and, and, like, it's just so weird how like countries just somehow like sometimes get that wrong. Like, I'm pretty sure you are not a fan of Portrait of a Lady on Fire, correct? No. Um, and but like at the same time, like you can understand why it was insane that like France didn't submit that. Like it was a phenomenon, and like yeah, sometimes stuff just like happens. It's like why didn't you guys put put the thing in that was gonna yeah, win the thing? Maybe you keep, know? keep like, your finger keep your finger to the pulse there. You know, yeah, like you I mean, know that the uh, American critics are gonna go for it. But beyond that. I, I, the fact that it did win that, I think there's a world where it weirdly becomes like this year's um, drive my car. No, uh, drive my car. Uh, yeah, where like it becomes like the, it's not going to, not and really. It's been on Netflix have, for so long. People watch it just because it's on Netflix. Like I feel like a lot of people it. have probably seen it. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, like critics love it. People love it. I think there's a world where like they really do, critics groups do push this 
into like the Oscar conversation. It picks up maybe director, maybe even one of those last couple unspoken for best picture slots, you know? Uh, and honestly, real talk, like me personally, I'm submitting that for like, you know, best actor, best editing, all that. Like I, I love, or which one are you, do you plan on doing an episode on RR? Yeah. Um, cause I come on. It. So I, well, I mean, look, I'm, I'm not, a, I, I mean, a hundred percent, we, a hundred percent we will, if it somehow gets a best picture nomination, uh, beyond that, it's like, do, do I just got, I would have to carve out the time. I'm not opposed to it, but it's like, I, I, I spent, I, I watched it like on my flight to Italy. Um, and like, it just like, I, how about this? I will commit to doing it if they put it in theaters again, because I will definitely go see it if they put it in theaters again, just to have that experience. And at that yeah, point, fingers crossed. Um, yeah. So, uh, it's, 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 it's just like, I'm, it's just, uh, you know, scheduling and trying to fit everything in. Like I, I, I it's hard to commit to like another three hours of that, but I think it's going to somehow it'll go up my priority list if it makes it back into theaters. And at that point I may as well do an episode. Uh, but cause like, I mean, look, it's, it's my number one of the year right now too. So hey, um, I didn't even know that. That's awesome. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, would, I, I, I mean, I feel like yeah, I, I probably should just because of that alone. It's just, you know, got to find the time with everything else we got coming out. Um, yeah. And like at this point, it's been six weeks since I watched it and I would want to have it be fresh, but it, big time commitment. Uh, yeah. We, we, we got to run, but uh, thanks again to Daniel for joining. Thanks to everyone for listening and we'll see you next time.